let me just start off by saying people should be held accountable for their actions. So we're not letting anybody off the hook, okay? So that's not what cancel culture is. But cancel culture is preventing people from speaking their true opinions, their, their thoughts, their perspectives on things. And no matter how much we hate those perspectives, unless it's like hate speech, which again, there, there's certain types of speech that are criminal. Like you, you know, you can get in trouble for that. And then, then we follow the legal process and we, that person should be punished for their behavior again, or whatever the, you know, whatever needs to happen because of these comments. But if we don't allow people to express their opinions in, in, in a way then we're not going to be able to move those people forward, right? They're just going to continue engaging in harmful behavior, harmful thoughts, processes, continue to hurt other people. And there's nothing we can do to help that individual. Welcome to Unlock Your Wellbeing the podcast that teaches you the simple keys to health and happiness so that you can grow as a human being into a well-being. And now here's your host, author, certified wellness coach, mother, and wife, Alicia Leadham. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Unlock Your Wellbeing. I'm your host, Alicia, and today... I have a really special, exciting guest that I am super excited to talk to and have a conversation with today. Um, we met through Michael, my husband, uh, on LinkedIn uh, a couple of years ago, which you guys, if you if this is um, your first time joining us on the show, you know we talk about LinkedIn and the connections that we make over there all the time, and this is just another great one uh, that we've been able to connect with. But yeah, we met through LinkedIn, and she's doing some really amazing things in the DEI uh, um, industry and world, and I'm just excited to introduce her and her work and her perspective to everyone here on the show. So I'm going to share a little bit more about her, and we will introduce her. So her name is Sajel. Okay. Uh, Sangel Thakkar is on a mission to educate and empower people to create a world where everyone is treated with dignity and respect. Sangel is a former employment law attorney, a two-time TEDx speaker, and the founder and chief civility officer at Train Extra, a woman minority-owned training consulting firm, where she helps leaders provide uh, positive, safe, and respectful workplaces through customized training and coaching. Sajil is also the chief culture officer at Nobody Studios, a venture capital firm that aims to create 100 compelling companies, guiding them from ideation to full-scale company validation. She is responsible for cultivating a people-first culture at Nobody Studios. Welcome to the show, Sajil. Thank you, Alicia. So great to see you, and I really am excited about our conversation today. Yes, me too. I feel like you have such a really unique and interesting background with um, your story and and your background on your story has, um, from what I understand, really given you this platform and um, inspiration for the work that you do today, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about, about your story from lawyer to now? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I started practicing employment law in California in 2003. And so I, for a number of years, I did litigation. So I was a defense attorney 
And I represented leaders, managers in cases that dealt primarily with harassment and discrimination. So I did that for a number of years. And very early in my journey, you know, I, I realized that I was more of a conflict resolution person versus being a litigator. Um, and so I always had a passion for training. So I kind of did it as a side hustle for a number of years, kind of the, the training on the side. And then after my son was born, I, I did more of that on the side and then finally started my own company, Train Extra, in 2017 and said, hey, this is really where I want to make a difference. And if I'm going to go for it, let's just do it. And so luckily, I have just passed my five-year anniversary and I'm still standing. So Yay. Amazing. <laughs> Congratulations. That five-year mark is a big deal, right? We always hear you can at least get through those first five years. You're likely going to stay afloat and continue to thrive because it takes time, right? Absolutely. It takes time. And then COVID, obviously, like all of us, right? It, I mean, I was literally at the point where I'd done these major conferences, these major speaking gigs. I was on the I was on the top of the mountain about to take off. And then COVID came and I went flat down. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. I, was, I was doing everything in person. So I wasn't set up for the virtual world like a lot of people. And um so yeah, that definitely was a challenging time, but got through it and here I am. Oh wow. So is that when uh you did your your uh your TED Talks was right before 2020? After afterwards, actually. So the first TEDx talk I did was last year. And then I did another one this year. So the first TEDx talk, um, the video is already out for that one. It was called, you know, the pain, the paradox and power of bias. And then the second one is called how to harness the power of exclusion and go from longing to belonging. And the video isn't out for that one yet. So stay tuned. It, it'll be out pretty soon. Oh, awesome. Well, we'll definitely put the the one that is out, the link in the show notes for people to check out. Um, but that's a really big deal to have a TEDx talk. Congrats. Tell us about how Thank that experience you. was too. Thank you. No, it was it was really um it was a humbling experience because I had posted uh, talking about LinkedIn. Like I've had so many things come from LinkedIn, but um I posted a, a just like a two-minute video on unconscious bias, which is an area that I'm very passionate about. And so one of my connections reached out to me and said, hey, you really need to get on a TEDx talk. And this is when all the Black Lives Matter stuff was going on. I was really advocating hard for all of that stuff. And so she's like, "This the time is perfect for this conversation right now. And I said to her, I remember telling her, I was like, are you joking right now? Like, I'm trying to, I'm, and this is a pandemic. I'm trying to pay my bills. I'm trying to get my business to stay afloat. The TEDx talk is on my bucket list, but it's it's on the back burner for now. And 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 you know, the more I thought about it, she was like, "This is the perfect time. I'll help you with it." And so I just went for it. And it was it was just such a um, it was a really great experience for me, Alicia, because it, the talk is very personal to me. It's about my back history, about what I've gone through personally, and so it was really an opportunity for me to share with the world my own background, my own lens and how I viewed the world and how that impacts the work that I'm out there doing right now. And also educate people on that important topic of unconscious bias. So Amazing. That is the coolest story I've ever heard of how <laughs> someone's gotten a TEDx gig, honestly, of, you know, and it's, that's the most authentic and organic, I feel like, you know, you're just being yourself and you're sharing 
what's true to you on your heart. And then someone reaches out to you. It's like, you need to be doing this. That's mm-hmm. definitely, I feel a, a divinely guided experience, but I mean, I'm interested. I, I want to learn more about, um, your, your story of what you shared in the, in the TEDx talk. Yeah. So, so the talk really is about, I call it the pain, the paradox and power of bias. So it's broken down into three different parts. And the pain part is really talking about my history. Um, I'm Indian. My parents are immigrants from India. And so I grew up in a town called Elmwood Park, which was predominantly Italian. We were the only Indian family there. And so I dealt with a lot of bullying, a lot of discrimination, harassment when I was growing up as a child in that town. And so I talk about that history, about how hard it was, you know, growing up. And in that part of the story, I really wanted to raise awareness of the fact that, you know, children, but especially immigrant children, you know, that grow up here don't have a lot of support when they're going through these situations. You can't really talk to your parents. They really are just, you know, like my parents came here. They literally started working the day after they moved to the United States. The job was lined up. They were busy working. So, so it's not like they really understand the struggles of what the kids are going through in school. They're trying to raise you as Indian as you as they possibly can. That's what they know. And and so there was a lot of that going on. And so really talking about, you know, what can we do to better support children, specifically, again, immigrant children. And then I talk about just how hard that whole situation was for me, you know, going growing up like that and not having support, not having resources, how that impacted my own wellness and my own just how, how, how to move forward from that. As a teenager, it got to the point where I was starting to act out. I was angry a lot. I had a lot of resentment. So I talk about an incident in that TEDx talk about because somebody had left a note on my locker door saying, go back to your country. And it was such a painful experience for me because I was actually born. So this is my country, you know, um, but I was viewed at because of the color of the skin, because my parents and their accents as some other, and I was treated that way. And, and so I talk about that experience and how that really was the point, the turning point in my journey of, I have two options here. I'm, I'm going down a really negative path. And if I keep going down this path, it's going to be getting into fights. It's going to be, you know, getting suspended multiple times, you know, getting disciplined. I was going to end up in jail, you know, or it was, it was not going to be a good path for me. It was going to be a dark path for me. Or I, I, I use this situation to empower myself and, and, and how do I do that? So that's kind of what I talked about in the pain part of it. And then the paradox part of it was really interesting. And I think what makes this talk unique is that I started, when I, when I practiced employment law, I was a defense attorney. So now here I am a victim of other people's bias and racism and prejudice. And now I'm defending those same individuals who are now being uh, accused of harassing or discriminating at somebody else. So I have to see it from a whole nother perspective. And it taught me a lot. And so I talk about that as a paradox of bias is that until you actually see it from both sides, you really don't understand that in ultimately we're all victims of bias and, and how we how, how it comes out. And so then the power of bias is really talking about, you know, there's conscious bias and there's unconscious bias. And you know, we we work all the time, and I know you and Michael do this work too, of working with companies and helping them deal with fixing the conscious bias in the organizations. But one of the things that I kept seeing over and over again as an employment law attorney, 
nobody's talking about the unconscious bias and how that's impacting how we treat other people. And so in the power of bias, I'm really focusing people's attention on what unconscious bias is, the science behind it, why it's important for us to actually do something about our own unconscious biases starts with learning about them, right? And then I, I share a strategy. I use the acronym HAT. And I just share a strategy with everybody to help them mitigate unconscious bias in their day-to-day -day lives. So sorry for that long explanation, but that that's kind of a little summary of what that talks about. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. that that's amazing, actually. <laughs> I'm really interested to know um, how how we can identify if we have what our unconscious bias is, because I'm assuming we all have it, right? Uh, which yes. is why it's unconscious. You're not aware of it. And how are we able to um, uncover what that is? Yep. So great question, Alicia. If you have a brain, you have bias. Everybody has bias. And this was really what led to me doing that talk is when I started doing workshops on unconscious bias, the minute I would say that word bias, people would shut down. They would like just zone out like, most people don't want to think of themselves as being biased. We're good people. We're moral people. We're trying to make a difference in the world. But people don't understand that unconscious bias is something that we all have. Um, our brain processes so much information, right? So Harvard came out with some research that said our brain's processing 11 million pieces of information every single second. So it creates all these shortcuts. So that's, it takes all this information that's constantly coming at us and it's, it, we're creating these shortcuts. So now you see someone and your brain's going to take a shortcut. It might remind you of somebody because of a lived experience you've had, because of the media, because of your family or culture. But something is going to bring up this bias against that person unconsciously. So you're not even aware that it's happening. And then because you're not aware of it, you can now say and do things to other people unintentionally that could be harmful to other people. And so... Um, unconscious bias is normal. And again, that's one of the reasons why I did that talk was to normalize this conversation, to get people to see that you're normal. Um, and the only time it's harmful is when you don't know about it, when you don't do the work to identify your own biases. Since we've all had different lived experiences and different journeys, our biases are going to be different from one another and nobody's immune to it. We're all, we're all victims of bias because of information that we're constantly being bombarded with. So yeah, so that's a little bit about unconscious bias. And in the good news is, guess what? We can retrain our minds. We're not, we're not, we don't have to stay victims of this bias. And so there's some simple ways that you can identify what those are. And then once you start to identify them, again, there's strategies that you can put into place to minimize. You can't, we can't fully ever eliminate it, but we can take steps to mitigate it. Mm. It's like once you're aware of the unconscious and you're bringing it to your conscious. Exactly. Right? Okay. Then you can do something about it. And that's how you really begin to create changes. That's right. Yeah. I love that. So when um, someone is identifying what that is and bringing it to, to the surface level for themselves, how do you see uh, people, people's unconscious bias negatively impacting workplaces or their relationships? Like what's, what's coming up for them with that? Yeah, great question. So let me just, let me just comment because I think, you know, for the people that are listening to this podcast, it might be helpful for them to just get a couple of tools to help them identify what their own biases might be. And then I'll talk about why it's important to do that work. 
so that you don't harm other people unintentionally. So unconscious bias is really spontaneous judgments we make about other people based on our lived experiences. Again, totally normal. 90% of the decisions we make are habitual. They're unconscious decisions that we make, 90%. So that means we're on autopilot most, most of the time. So tools that you can use, one tool is just very simple, right? Unconscious biases, they're hidden from us. We're not aware of them until we do the work. But it comes out in the things that we say and do to the people around us. So one of the easiest tools is to ask people, that you trust, you know, that you know they're gonna they truly care about your well-being. And to simply just ask them to say, hey, when I make really important decisions, right? Like who I spend my time with, who I hire, who I promote, who I put on certain projects, who I give time off to, when I make these important decisions that are impacting people's lives, do you think I'm biased in any way? And just ask that question. We're just afraid to ask that question because nobody wants to think of themselves as being biased, but again, it's normal. Mm. And then if you ask somebody that truly cares about you, they'll tell you because it comes out all the time with what we say, the tone of our voice, body language, our facial features, our hand gestures, our actions that we take with that person, little comments that we might make without even realizing. So that's one tool. The other tool is it's called implicit association test. It, it was a tool that was created by Harvard, uh, some psychologists from Harvard University, University, uh, University of Virginia, University of Virginia, uh, Washington. They came together, they collaborated, and they created this tool. First of all, it's online. It's free. We love free. <laughs> it's broken out. The last time I checked, it had like 14 different sections to it, so like race, gender, sexual orientation, so on. And then you just sit down and do like one section at a time. It's too much. If you do all of it together, you'll just get a massive migraine. So don't even try. Just do one at a time, right? And I just, I tell people to make a date with yourself every two weeks and just take one section, think about it, reflect, and then come back and take another one and continue to learn. And, and you just have to continue to do this work. It's an ongoing process, right? But this tool is fantastic because it identifies for you your natural tendencies, which ways do you lean? And so it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means in certain situations, you tend to lean in that direction. And bias, by the way, uh, bias in and of itself could be positive or negative. It, you know, a lot of people think bias is just negative, but you and I both have, us, we have children, right? So I have a son and you have a son. So if someone looks like our son, it's natural that we're going to feel favorably towards that person, right? So that's a positive bias. Mm -hmm. This is the opposite of, when I was being bullied by those kids in school, they were Italian. So to this day, when I meet somebody that's Italian, my heart starts to race, my hands get sweaty, because it reminds me of that experience that I went through. Now, that gives me this unfavorable bias towards this person. But because I know that bias, I, I make sure to check that at the door and say, whoa, 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 Sage, this person has nothing to do with what you went through. So keep that in mind as you go forward, right? So, so. When you take this tool, it tells you which ways you lean. So then when you're making important decisions, you can check yourself and say, hey, I have a natural ten tendency to lean in this direction. So make sure that I have logical analysis to support and objective facts to support the decisions I'm making, not just relying on these spontaneous judgments or impressions that could be wrong. In a majority of the time, they are wrong. 
And that's the scary part when you start doing this work. You start to realize that a lot of our unconscious biases are actually the exact opposite of what we currently believe. So we grow, but some of these biases are hidden, they stay until it gets triggered, right? So until you see that Italian person, or until you see someone that looks like your son, you're not going to remember that. The bias isn't going to come forward. Now, in the case, going back to your question now of how it comes up, is that if you don't know about it, then you might say or do things at work or anywhere that are called microaggressions, right? So now you might be making comments, you might be giving certain looks, your tone might change when you're interacting with this person, not intentionally, mm. without you even knowing it, because you have some bias against that person that you're unaware of. It's very harmful. And again, we're all victims to these biases. Like when you look at our society, gender bias, and a very easy example, we can all see examples of gender bias every day, mm -hmm. right? That's something that none of us can escape. Like just this happened to me just last week. I was in the call with four other people. I was the only female on that call. And when it came time to take notes, somebody just volunteered me to do it. Oh, oh my God. That's gender bias, right? Like, why are you just assuming that I'm going to be that? I suck at taking notes. And so I just said straight up, like, I don't, I have either AI, I'm happy to press that button, but like, I don't take notes. Like, that's, that's not what I'm good at. But that person, again, gender bias, right? And I was comfortable enough with this group of people to say, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm not really that good at it. So I'm happy to, you know, record it for us if you'd like, but but it's all around us. So we're all victims to it. So it's it's in everyone's best interest to do this work so we can collectively change the direction in which we're going. Mm, wow. Very, very powerful explanation of that. I too experienced the gender bias quite mm -hmm. a bit as a, as a woman owning a business and this industry that we're in, you see it all of the time. I see it really heightened even more too, when you compare me to um, my husband's business, right? It's like a white male in in that world. And then I'm a, yeah, a female, right? Um, so I think that how you explain that is really powerful. And I think I can absolutely see the resistance that people have to um, doing anything about it because it's uncomfortable and it, it puts you in a very, very vulnerable state and it makes you think that there is some, that you're doing something wrong. And I think that, you know, as you keep saying, it's not your fault, right? Like you didn't do anything wrong. Um, that's kind of adjusting that for us is like, listen, you can be vulnerable and know that you're going to see some things, but that vulnerability is where the growth is going to happen. And we kind of have to like really lean into that, that part of it, but not doing it and pretending like it's not there makes things just so much easier. Like, okay, if I just avoid it, then I don't have to get uncomfortable. I don't have to get vulnerable. And, um, you know, then things are just easier for me, but that's not how everything around us you know, are going to grow our teams and, and ourselves, right. Which is what we ultimately want is to get better. But if we're not willing to kind of go there with that, um, that's, that's not helpful. I really love that first tip you gave of asking someone close to you what that tip is, because I think that kind of creates that, that safe place to do it for the first time. Right. Like I can think of the first person I would ask and it is scary, but knowing like, okay, this is safe. I can kind of at least dip my toes into this 
and ask this person what that is, that kind of helps me to, um, release some resistance around, around doing that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Alicia, you know, the other thing too, is just self-awareness, like increasing your own self-awareness, right? So our brain starts making judgments about people the minute we see them. So we're not, we see somebody walking down the street, we haven't even talked to this person yet. And we're going to start making all kinds of initial impressions about that person. So there's some research out there that says that our brain makes 11 judgments about somebody within the first seven seconds of seeing that person. Wow. And then whether those initial impressions you made about that person are true or not, right? You're going to now spend the rest of your time after you meet them trying to look for evidence to confirm those initial impressions. So they say that like some of the first things we notice about somebody are their is their race, is their um, age and their gender. And then we take those characteristics. So we see that visually, we start making assumptions about that. And then we start connecting that to other characteristics. Like how much education does that person have? What's their social status, right? Uh, how much money do they have? And so now you've made all of these impressions about all of that stuff and you haven't even talked to the person. So the chances of you being wrong are pretty high, right? <laughs> and, then, and then you're going to spend money to talk to that person and then you're going to start looking for evidence to confirm your initial beliefs. So it's really important to do that work. So when you start to increase your self-awareness, so now you see someone, pay attention to these extreme reactions that you're feeling for this person, whether they're positive or negative. Just start noticing because that's the difference between unconscious bias and in a way just really simplify it down to like, this is, this is where I'm like, this is my superpower, simplifying these concepts down to like where everybody can understand it, right? But like in some ways, if you think about conscious bias and unconscious bias, it's a matter of speed, right? So if we just slow down our reaction time and say, wait a second, why am I making all these, why am I a strong reaction towards this person, whether it's positive or negative? Why? Where is this coming from? And then asking yourself like that, those questions are hard because that requires you to go inside and really figure out like, why do I, why am I making this judgment about that person? They haven't done anything to me, right? And so when you start doing this inner work, that's where the light bulbs start going off and you're like, oh, now I get it, right? And so you can use all these tools, but even simply just starting to increase your self-awareness in certain situations to say, I'm seeing a habit here. Like every time I see a person that looks like this, I feel this way. Why is that? Because not everybody that looks like that or acts like that is a certain way. So it's much easier for our brain to lump people together because it takes too much energy for it to try to individually assess every person. So now they're going to say, oh, anybody that's tall is going to make a good CEO, right? That's why when you look at like Fortune 500 company CEOs, a majority of them are over six feet tall. And so you're really? like, wait a second. Yeah, there's all this research out there. And, and it's a, there's a perception that the taller you are, the better leader you are. And when you see less than 5% women CEOs of the Fortune 500, why is that? As bias, because apparently women can't be good CEOs. That's the perception out there. And we all know that's complete bullshit. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, point being is that these biases play out. And so we don't do this work. We're just going to continue to perpetuate those. And so it's an uncomfortable conversation. I agree with you on that, but we need to have it and we need to do it more often. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uncomfortable doesn't mean let's avoid it. It just yeah. is, it's like calling it out. Like, yeah, I get that this is uncomfortable, but that's <laughs> why it's so important. And like, thank God for people like you and, and the work that you're doing that you're, you're speaking out about it and doing it. Do you get a lot of resistance to doing it? Cause I can, I can totally feel how that would be like, well, I don't know if we really need that right now. or want to go there right now because of that discomfort that we're talking about. I, you know, I, 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 I'd say that what I've, what I've, I've done things to change that resistance, right? So I, when I first started doing it, I started getting a lot of resistance and I, that's why I realized I wanted to do that TEDx talk because I was like, if we can't get people to listen to what I'm saying, we can't move towards inclusion, which is really the goal. How do we create cultures of inclusion and belonging for everybody in the workplace? Like that's what I'm trying to do. And so, but if I can't even get them to the first step of this process, we can't do the rest of the work. And so, so some of the things that I've done is, for example, when I do my workshops, I replace the word bias with the word belief. When I say unconscious beliefs, because that word bias in and of itself has a negative association to it. So I'm just like, let's just get rid of that together. I'm just going to call it beliefs, unconscious beliefs. So how we frame things and how, and I think science always helps, right? Like, Neuroscience has come a long way in the, just the last decade. We've learned a lot more about the brain. I'm not an expert on it, but I've done my work to learn enough about it to say that we know a lot about how our brain works and how we can use that to our advantage. So I always put in some science into my workshops so that people understand how the brain works, because once I can get them into that, then we can talk about it, about how you identify and the strategies in place. But yeah, I mean, there's always going to be resistance. You know, I mean, I, I see stuff all the time, unconscious bias training doesn't work. And I'm like, no, it does work. In a vacuum, it's not going to work. Nothing is going to work in a vacuum. We got to have everything, the support and the resources and all of that behind it, of course. Um, but it does work because it raises awareness on this topic. And sometimes, you know, people, you know, some some people say, well, you know, now everyone's kind of just, you're giving everybody a hall pass. You know, you're, you're saying if they're, if they're a bad person, you're saying, oh, it's normal. So you should be I'm like, you're missing the point. It's not about letting anybody out of uh, giving anybody a hall pass or getting anybody off the hook. It's not about that at all. Uh, accountability is still very important and people are always should be held accountable for their actions. Right. But, but at the same time, you know, I think that we're too quick right now to be that cancel culture. And I'm, I don't like that approach at all either. And I, I posted about this on LinkedIn just like last week. I put a poll out there. I'm like, should we cancel people or not? And it was it, it, it got lots of, of comments and traction on it. And it was just eye-opening to read what people were saying. And the good news was at least it seemed like more people were leaning towards the signs of let's not cancel people. And you know, let's actually, you know, people should be allowed to voice their opinions on it, of course, but let's make sure we keep giving this information out there so people can understand how this impacts their behavior. Because you and I do this work with organizations, right? We can't change how people think, mm. but we can change the behavior that we're going to accept and allow and tolerate within the organization, right? And so, yeah, I could talk to you about this for like hours, obviously you can tell. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm loving it. And I, well, a couple of things I wanted, I wanted to touch on what you said. One is... Um, I hadn't heard that, uh, people are, are saying that, oh, it doesn't work that, um, you know, the unconscious bias trainings don't work, um, which is interesting. And 
somewhat comical because I've been hearing the same things about well-being programs, right? Or mindfulness programs and in companies. It doesn't work. Well, it works when you work it and it works yeah. when you embody it. And I think sometimes it's easy to just be like, well, it doesn't work because it's it's not like the sexy thing, right? It's not the the bottom line, essentially. It's not mm-hmm. what we're all what we really want. It's the thing that we we know we need to do, but we would rather do the thing that looks more fun. And that's going to get us to wherever we think it is that we're going, but you know what I mean? Um, so I think, I think that's super interesting. And also, yeah, tell me, tell me more about, uh, cancel culture, because I think it's becoming very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Oh my, it's, it's really, really dangerous. It's gotten to the point where like people are bringing up things from like people's past. And again, it's not about letting anybody off the hook. That's not what we're saying. And people who think, say that about it, don't really understand what's going on with regards to cancel culture, because, mm-hmm. you know, again, let me just start off by saying people should be held accountable for their actions. So we're not letting anybody off the hook. Okay. So that's not what cancel culture is, but cancel culture is preventing people from speaking their true opinions. Their their thoughts, their perspectives on things. And no matter how much we hate those perspectives, unless it's like hate speech, which again, there, there's certain types of speech that are criminal. Like you, you, you know, you can get in trouble for that. And then then we follow the legal process and we that person should be punished for their behavior again, or whatever the, you know, whatever needs to happen because of these comments. But if we don't allow people to express their opinions. In, in a way that we're not going to be able to move those people forward. This podcast episode is brought to you by Your Wellbeing Promotion, a six-month program with Alicia Leadham to overcome the overwhelm of jumpstarting your wellness journey in just six months. This program is for professionals who want to either recover from or prevent burnout with a customized well-being plan and ongoing support. It's also for leaders or coaches who want to learn how to embody well-being themselves so that they can coach and lead others to improve their well-being using the content and the techniques that they learn from this program. It's for working parents who have a lot on their plate and are feeling tired of being stuck personally and professionally and are seeking clarity and peace of mind. And finally, your well-being promotion is for people who want to become more self-aware and learn the tools to handle stress better so that they can stop surviving and truly begin to thrive. This is a program that you are not going to want to miss. We are currently enrolling right now at a very low price. Head on over to alishaleadum.com. That's A-L-I-S-H-A-L-E-Y-T-E-M.com to learn more and enroll in the six-month program with Alicia. By the end of the program, you will have improved your sleep, your diet, your exercise, your relationship with nature, and your mental, spiritual, and emotional health. You'll master the skill of knowing how to relax and regulate your nervous system. You'll improve your mindfulness skills and become a person who is both calm and successful. This includes coaching, a course on the six gold keys to well-being coaching models, and a community aspect. Do not miss this. If you have any questions at all, head to alishaleadum.com to learn more and enroll today. You can get started right away. And now back to the show.
right? They're just going to continue engaging in harmful behavior, harmful thoughts, processes, continue to hurt other people. And there's nothing we can do to help that individual, right? And so I think the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, it's not the first time we've seen this happen, right? This has been going on for 400 years. But what it did was it brought up a lot of these issues to the top. And because of that, I think people have gone all the way to the other extreme. They're like, we want to cancel everybody. We, we want to, you know, we'll get rid of that person, fire that person, don't buy from their company. And it's like, whoa, this is this is not the intention of cancel culture. That's that's not what we should be doing. That's not helping anybody. Now you're just going to divide people even more mm. rather than bring them together. So yeah, I mean, definitely when I that's why I posted about it because I read some article about a woman that had made a racist comment, you know, back in the day. And again, she, she was properly um, disciplined for her comments. And then everybody just sort of started ganging up on her and you know, bullying her online and you know, to the point where she got fired from her position. You know, she'd been a long time. And this was something that came up from like years ago, you know? And so it's just, it's, it's not, it's the, that, that kind of behavior doesn't help anybody because here I am telling people that we're humans. We're going to make mistakes at times. Be humble. Be willing to fumble. But let's have these conversations. And then if you've got people that are actually doing that work, and then now they're going to get punished or retaliated against because they're actually doing the work and maybe they messed up because they're human and we all mess up, that doesn't help them, right? That's So it's not going to work. And so, yeah, I, I really hope people, you know, understand that we can, we if we want long-term sustainable change we have to get people motivated to do this work right rather than shutting them down mm-hmm. and 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 getting them to resist the process we need them to buy into the process right and so i just think the whole cancel culture thing is doesn't work at all so yeah i i couldn't agree more with the it feels like it's kind of dividing people even more and it's yeah. making people feel like um it's just better not to say anything at all mm-hmm. for fear of being canceled um yes. because not only like if you say something that is harmful that's one thing but then it's another thing to say something that someone doesn't like your opinion of and then people can rally behind that and it's just like okay I would just rather not say anything and then to your point well what happens when no one's saying anything Mm -hmm. then we're not able to move the conversation forward at all and we in order to do that we have to dig in and do this work and it's going to be messy and it's not going to be perfect and I think that that's where there's this really big miss right now. And then, and then too, I mean, I don't know, like in pop culture, right? Like some people and some companies are getting canceled for certain things and then some Mm -hmm. aren't for other things. And it's like, who gets to decide what that is and when it's just so media, the the sad, the sad part, the sad reality is the media, the the media gets to decide. And that's the, that's the part that I think people aren't getting Mm-hmm. is that the media will blow these things up to suit their own agenda. So we're literally just pawns in their, in their, what they want to accomplish. And people don't realize that, you know, politics, the media, the news, all of this stuff is unreliable. And now with social media, forget about it. Like you, you get on Twitter. I mean, I'm not even on Twitter or Facebook anymore. I got up all of it. I'm only on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I go on Instagram just to post every now and then, but like, it's, it's just, it's so easy for people to get manipulated. It's a joke. It, yeah, you know, it's like, what, you know, so I'm just like, I'm going to just shut up myself off of, from all of that stuff. And 
and not be a pawn in these people's games. And it's the bullying that happens too. Well, cyberbullying for people who are voicing their opinions and should be allowed to voice their opinions on even controversial topics. Mm -hmm. Someone should be able to voice their opinion, right? As long as it's not inciting hate or crime or, you know, or anything else that's illegal. But somebody, you know, if you have a strong opinion, you should be able to voice that opinion, even if people don't like it, right? But now you see like, then you'll see the hundreds of people kind of getting up on that person. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember like the Black Lives Matter movement, I actually comment on Twitter and it was not meant to be like dismissive, but like somebody read it that way. And all of a sudden there was like all these people like on me. And I was like, what? Oh, hold on. You know, like you don't understand where that comment, you want to understand the context. I don't care about that. Right. And so when you see examples like that happening, you're like, these people could destroy your career in a day if this, if this continues. Right. And so I'm like, I'm out of here because I'm not even going to be on a platform where I can't safely voice my perspectives. And you see the stuff I do on LinkedIn. I, I purposefully challenge limits. Like that's my sort of existence for being on there is to challenge people's thinking to change status quo. And so I have to very delicately push those boundaries. So they start getting pushed further and further apart. So I'm putting controversial content out there at times because I want to create some discussion around it. And people will comment because they know that there's a safe place they could comment on my feed and they're not going to get attacked. They're not going to get bullied unless they say something completely ridiculous. Then I'll just delete and block them so that we just don't have energy for that. But but, you know, it, it's interesting to see, like, how people are slowly starting. On LinkedIn, I'm seeing a bigger difference. Like, again, I'm not on Facebook or Twitter, but at least on LinkedIn, I'm feeling like there's more safety in voicing your opinions. But again, I think it depends on the topic, too, because the other day I saw something and it was like, like the whole abortion issue came up and it was just like this crazy dialogue going on. And I'm like, I don't know. We need somebody to step in there and mediate. And, and I was just like, okay, if I, if I get in there right now, this is going to be an all-day event. So I'm like, never mind. I'm going to lean and focus on what I'm doing. But yeah. yeah, it's an extremely divisive issue right now, but oh. pretty intense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I completely agree with the media, the media's role in this. And I think more and more people are starting to... Um, see it a little bit more. And I mean, I've said this many, many, many years ago in starting my, my well-being journey and teaching people, like if you want one thing that you can do to find more peace in your day is to turn off the news and, oh, yeah. and that triggers people, right? They're like, well, what, how would I know what's going on? I'm like, listen, you will know what's going on. <laughs> people will tell you what's going on, right? Yes. Like I, I stopped watching the news 10 plus years ago. I, and I remember the difference and I, and how I felt like I used to start my day, um, you know, having on the today show, right. As you're getting ready. And, um, what's scary about that is the news, like they share scary stories, right. Violence, things that are wrong in the world. And so you're starting your day by putting that into your subconscious. Okay. And so then throughout the whole day, you're starting this, this energy from anxiety and fear. And then that, goes throughout the rest of your day. And so you can do the opposite. And honestly, if you do nothing else, but just turn it off, you will feel <laughs> immensely better. Like literally just turn it off. I'm with you. I stopped watching the news too. Like I, it would stress me out where I couldn't sleep at night. I was yeah. up at, I'm, I'm an empath. So like, it hits me hard when I hear about this stuff. Like it, it, like, so I, I did the same thing and believe me, 
people will tell you when you need to know. Like, it was nothing that, you know, LinkedIn, I find it, if it was to the LinkedIn, it's worth me knowing, right? But even then, like, I, I, I have to be very careful about where I focus my energy and my efforts and where I'm getting my information. Mm-hmm. Because so much of the information out there, it's hard to tell what's true, what's not true. And it's easy to take that information and start generalizing that negatively to people you know, right? We saw that happen with COVID. When COVID started happening, all of a sudden, like all the Asian hate crimes started growing up people. And it's like, wait a second, yeah. what? Like, this has nothing to do with where it originated. And yet now innocent lives are being destroyed. And so that's a perfect example of how media will, you know, will screw up people's lives if you let it. Totally. Yeah. It can be a very scary, dangerous place to go down. Um, but I, I, I second with you, you'll, you'll know what's going on. People will absolutely <laughs> tell you, I promise it still happen. And you'll have your, a little bit more sense of peace. Um, you know, and I feel like this kind of comes back to what you're talking about, right. Is the unconscious and, um, all the information that you're consuming all day long, um, and trying to like sort that out and the media and the news can, it's just more noise. Right. Yes. This is actually something that I talk about, um, in, in my book, actually in the, I think it's in like the very, the very end, one of the obstacles to, um, well-being is, um, not turning off the noise. Okay. And knowing what the noise is in your, in your everyday life and how to, how to turn it down. You can't turn mm-hmm. it off. Right. But turn it down so that then you can, and like you just said, be more focused in, on where you're putting your energy towards. And I think for, for the work that you're doing, if people can learn to turn down the noise in their, in their lives, then they'll have more energy literally to be able to devote to doing this inner work, because now you're not spending, you know, your day trying to process and, and hold on to this negativity and this scary information that you're getting, you know, of everything that's happening in the world. And also we're not meant to know every single thing that's happening in the world. One of my mentors said this, um, at the peak of the pandemic, she's like, our nervous systems are, we're just not meant to know every single thing happening Mm -hmm. horrible in the world. It's, it's crippling, right? Like we can't energetically handle that shit. And so we have to, because of the internet, we have access to be able to know everything that's happening in the world. So you have to be super intentional of where you're turning it off so that you're not taking everything in because it can get really slippery. Like you can very easily like, um, you know, turn it on and get sucked right back in. And so you have to consciously pull it back, you know? That's right. And I'll just add one thing to that, Alicia, is the, the trauma. You know, when you have media replaying the same thing over and over again, like with the George Floyd situation, if you're watching it, you're being traumatized every single time you watch that. They're purposefully replaying that clip. Open and watch it, like one time all the way through, because it was, it was, my heart was going to stop just watching that thing, you know? But I really felt I was in his body, like that's how much it impacted me, that whole situation. And yet the media is playing it over and over. And they think about the trauma that you're experiencing. So if nothing else, protect yourself and shut that off so that you don't get traumatized. I mean, be selfish in your own self-care, right? And it's not selfish, right? I know that's what you're going to say. It's not selfish for self-care, which is true. But I'm just saying in those situations, be selfish. 
say, I can't watch that because this traumatizes me. Because I had a mentor who like said the same thing about the watching the news, like, well, you're an attorney, you know, you need to know what's going on. I'm like, no, you don't. You know, I don't need to know what's going on. You know, like, I need to know, like, what I need to know, I'm going to know, right? But, but I, 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 I tried to explain to her that because of the way that I am wired, these incidences traumatize me. And so I am protecting myself, right? And so if we all think about it that way, you know, like when the Ukraine war stuff started, oh my, I was, I was so impacted by that situation. I was posting about it every day. I was like watching the news on that because I'm like, I can't believe all these innocent. And then I just realized like, I need to step back and protect myself a little bit because I was so into like the, the, the pain that was hitting me. I was, I was feeling the trauma from all the way here and just children and those families and what they were going through. And like, I had to literally shut down for like a whole week so I could regain my perspective, you know? Um, it's, it's really hard for, for some of us to watch that stuff. And so if you're one of those people where you're like stressing out and you're, you find yourself being distracted or not able to sleep, it's a good time to like take that step back and protect yourself. For sure. I mean, I like, I'm glad you shared the story about you, you know, the Ukraine war kind of sucking you in and, oh, yeah. um, because even if you are intentional with it, it can still happen because these stories are real and like they can hit you right in the heart mm -hmm. you know it's happening for me right now actually with the um the four murders of the college students out in uh in idaho oh my god it is sucking me in and it, it just for me it just was felt super personal because the couple who was killed it reminds me a lot of how like me and michael were mm -hmm. when we met in college and it's just you know it just hits you sometimes yeah. and it's like holy shit like that Mm -hmm. that 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 sucks you in and so in the past couple of weeks it's just been like consuming and so I've had to Same. be like okay yeah <laughs> I need this is a an example right of like it happens it does and I'm definitely going to still be following it but has it um impacted my well-being absolutely yeah and so I need to take a step back and once you're able to bring that self-awareness to mm -hmm. times like that all right this is this is like not only negatively impact me now it's impacting everyone, like my family because yes. of how it's impacting me right and so this kind of just comes back to really everything we're talking about is mm -hmm. when you're super impacted by things whether you're conscious or unconscious of it yes it's going to impact everyone else around you and so the work that you do on yourself helps not only you which is important right be selfish of that know that it's helping you but it's also helping others yeah 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 so tell me with all that you, um, all that you have to deal with and go through and bringing this work, cause it's probably a lot for you energetically to, you know, share this all the time. How do you maintain your own sense of well being um, during it? Yeah, thank you. No, and, and, you know, I, I really appreciate you asking that question. And I've actually, I started posting about how hard my work is for me on my LinkedIn profile. Recently, I've started posting about it even more. Because I think it's important for us to talk about how our careers are harming us. And, and when I'm dealing with the work that I do, I'm hearing people's stories, their personal experiences, and that secondary trauma does impact me. Um, and so it's important. Uh, I just had a conversation with an, another DEI consultant. And, you know, we had to, the first time we were talking, but it felt like we'd known each other a long time. And she was sharing with me what she was going through. And right then I told her, I go, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Like you have to take care of yourself. So for me, 
you know, I do a lot of walking. I do a lot of nature and nurture. So I made a commitment to do 15,000 steps every, every day. So even when I was talking to Michael, I was walking on my balcony as we were talking. And I, I do that because that's where I get to process all of my emotions, my feelings. When I walk and talk, my brain seems to work better. And when I'm thinking, when I'm walking, I'm able to process things better. Um, and being in nature, you know, it, it's it's so important for me. Like right now I'm standing here doing this podcast with you, but like, and I look out of my window, I've got this beautiful view with the bay and the clouds and there's hummingbirds coming, like surrounding myself in nature. So where it forces me to stop and express my gratitude. Like, wow, thank you so much for giving me this home or I'm out on a hike and just noticing nature and how it works. Like that's what seems to really refill me. And then the other thing I do is just, I spend a lot of time, as much time as I can with my son. Mm -hmm. So he's 10 and I try to see the world through his eyes as often as I can and just really get down to his level and just focus on him and put everything else aside as often as I can. And I'm getting better and better at it. You know, it's, it's, it's hard when you're, you know, when we're, um, high-performing professionals, right? And we're, we're, we're used to doing a lot. Um, and especially as females, as mothers, you know, we were master jugglers. So we're juggling so much on our plates, you know? And, and so it's easy for us to think we can handle it all. But the biggest, the best decision I made was when, whenever I have him near me, I say, okay, I'm going to have my set times that I work on, but the phone, the computer, everything goes away. And for like the next two hours, I'm just going to focus on him and, and get down with him and play. And that really helps so much. Mm. That time of just seeing the world through his eyes, his curiosity, his questions, what he's focusing on, what he's noticing, what he's observing all of that stuff helps me feel in my own journey and, and process that trauma that I might be getting from secondary trauma from the work that I'm doing. So I think everybody's different, but those are some of the things that really seem to work for me in, in what I'm doing. And then the other thing I, I, I do too is that, you know, I, I, I dedicated time to just meditating, you know, and you were, you were so wonderful when you came to Nobody's Studios and did our meditation with us the other day. Um, but yeah, I started meditating at least once a week, like formally, but I meditate all the time when I walk, but like actually just sitting down and meditating. Um, I try to, I'm trying to do that more and more. Um, it's just a little hard with the schedule. So I do it when I walk, but th that form of sitting down and actually making the time for it. I've been doing it for over a year and I'm telling you, it has helped so much. It has really, really made a huge difference in my well-being. Amazing. And that's just once a week. That's just once a week that I'm formally sitting down and doing it. Yeah. And, and I'm, I, again, like I would love to do it more. It's just that there's so much on my plate, but this is the thing about meditation, right? You can do it anywhere. You don't need to formally sit down. Like when I walk, I'm, I'm meditating during that time, but there is something that's to be said about making that special designated time to just sit and think. I like to walk and think, but sitting and thinking, there's something else to that because when I'm sitting and thinking, I'm focused more on my breathing, my diaphragm. So I'm doing, I'm getting more benefits from just doing it that way, um, as well as the walking. So I think if you can do a combination, that's the best, right? Like figure out what works for you and, and figure out the right timings, you know? Um, and then one last thing I just forgot is I, I had thought about saying this is just gratitude. Gratitude 
starting every morning off with my gratitude mantra, what are just listing as I'm laying in bed, just listing out the things that I'm grateful for. When I start getting nervous or anxious or overwhelmed and I'm like, oh, I got 50 things I got to do and I'm starting to feel that pressure coming on, I just stop and I start just saying what I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my son. I'm grateful. And then sometimes it takes like a few things. Sometimes it takes like a hundred things before I finally start breaking out of that mode. But gratitude is like, for me, it's like now it's like the quickest way for me to manage my well-being. Amazing. All such good tips. I'm I'm also a very big proponent of the walking meditation. Yeah. Um, especially as like you said, mothers juggling a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, that formal meditation is a lot harder to squeeze in. Yeah. So um I think that you found a really powerful and beautiful way to to do these practices that you need to do, um, especially with the work that you're doing and, and find that like sense of balance as you're handling, not just your own life, but taking on the energies of everyone else. So amazing. Thank you for sharing thank, that. Thank you. This has been such a cool conversation. Thank you for coming on. Of course. Yay. Um, tell us more about where we can find you and what you have going on and how we can connect with you. Sure. So if, you know, look, I work with companies all across the globe. So I'm doing international stuff too. I do virtual workshops um, and I do in-person. So if you're looking for workshops on civility at work, diversity, inclusion, I do a lot on unconscious bias, microaggressions, how to be a good ally, any of those topics, you can look up more information at my website, train extra. So it's T-R-A-I-N-X-T-R-A.com. There's no E in the extra for train extra. And so if you go to my website, there's information on all my workshops there. Um, the other place you can find me is on our, as you mentioned earlier, I'm doing some work for Nobody Studios. So I'm consulting for them as a chief culture officer. And we're doing some really exciting stuff in the culture space, but in the well-being space and a lot of different areas. So you can look up what we're doing there at nobodystudios.com. Awesome. We'll have all the links in the, uh, the show notes for everyone so they can check out more. And of course we'll have your LinkedIn profile in there because you're really fun and active to follow on LinkedIn. So we all got to follow her there. Hey, I just, I just passed the 30,000 mile, 30,000 followers just, just two days ago. Yes. Yes. Congrats. That's amazing. Good for you. 30k you need to get those like the the you know people do the balloons of the I know I know I thought about it. five years of hard work. Yeah. Five years of you hard work, organically grown and, and really just showing up every day and being consistent and everything that I know you're doing and that Michael are doing too. So, but it does work. It just doesn't happen overnight, right? It takes some time. It always does. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're, yeah, you've earned it and congrats. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, this has been really insightful and I appreciate you, Sajel. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, guys.